0: It's great to see you. My name is Simon. Still, uh, <laughs> it hasn't changed in the last few minutes. It's so nice to be back. Honestly, I have been so looking forward to getting back together again. It's like feels like weeks since we've had a meeting, and I like being together. I like us being in the room. I like us just being connected. Do you know, one of the amazing things um, about this community over the last few months, I've realized, is just some of the I and mean, it'll make me emotional. It's just some of the really rock-solid strengths of the people here. And Mick just reflected that when he came up. I'm so glad he did. I mean, it helped me illustrate my point of what I wanted to say because that's what's in this community. And um, there's some remarkable people here. And if you have joined recently, if you've connected recently, then I am thrilled and delighted because you've got a part to play as well. And you've got a contribution to make to all that we're doing here. And so to start with, just to say, we've had a brilliant autumn term, and uh, just some brilliant things happened. I just want to mention them, just just a couple of things. Our youth was fantastic. I wanted our youth in today, by the way, because we really value who you are. And one of the things that they have modelled is the fact that they have invited their friends along. And they've been bringing others into their group. That was seen when we did our uh, Scratch Nativity. And uh, I just want to honour you. That is fantastic. And well done to the team leaders of the youth. So James and Phil and Mark. And uh, we're looking to others to connect in there. Liz has been involved as well. Thank you so much for all you do with our young people. That is brilliant. And um, then we did City Kids. And uh, we did some uh, amazing developments there. Because basically City Kids has grown from nine, hopefully to 16 people on that team. we've gone from three teams to four teams. Which just makes it much, much healthier. And Lydia has been doing a brilliant job um, there, But I've got some news to tell you, is that what we did in terms of the last term was that we invited Natalie. Do you want to stand up, Natalie? There's also a photo of Natalie going to come up on the screen as well, and her family. Here you are. Here's Natalie and her family. Let's give her a little round of applause. <laughs> Natalie um, has, um, has joined the City Kids team and has working, been working alongside Lydia with a view to kind of develop into leading City Kids in the future. We haven't got a date on that, but that's the development process. And so Lydia is still doing lots and lots involved in City Kids, but Natalie's come alongside her, and that as a team has proved great in terms of strengthening what they've done there. And we've got new team leaders that are leading through um, January as well, so that's also very exciting. So Lydia is outside training people right now, so that's great. In fact, while I'm talking about... Um, Natalie joining uh, City Kids. I also want to give you uh, news in terms of our worship team as well, because this affects Matthew Sittal Singh, who's on the picture there. Go back one picture. There's Matt. So you obviously know Matt. He led worship today. Matt has been leading the um, worship team alongside Ben Welshman, who is um, kind of one church uh, involvement at City uh, City Church. And um, Matt also leads the visuals team and the pastoral care team. And so Matt and I have been talking, and we have been discussing... um, ways in which we can develop things. And so I'm delighted to let you know that we've invited, and they've said yes, that Tim and Joe, next photo, Tim and Joe are going to join the Bradley Stokes site in February. little ripple of applause there. Um, uh, And join the team and work alongside, Tim would work alongside um, Matt for a while with a view for them to him to come through and lead the worship team here on the site. So we're very excited about that. Matt's very excited. Matt would be keen to let you know that he's not going anywhere and he'll still be leading uh, worship on a regular basis here on a Sunday. But in terms of the development role, Tim will come through to, to lead. Can I just honour Matt and Nat at this point, just in terms of their commitment to the Bradley Stoke site? When I talk about the rocks and some of the kind of foundations of this church, then they are a f- massively fine example of that. So we're very grateful. Thank you for all you are doing. You've obviously seen their kids as well, which is brilliant. And Eleanor and David were playing in the band today. They also got Sophie, and then Tim and Joe have got two children, Arya and Ezra, and they will be coming here. So when they come in February, we'll get to welcome them really well. I think actually we're welcoming Tim by asking him to lead worship on his first Sunday here. So on the fifth of February, that's where you'll see him. Okay, all right, brilliant. Um, and through the last term, through last term, we had lots of new people. I think I had about 32 new people on my, my form uh, I keep of all the new people, so I can stay in contact, which is just really exciting. So uh, that is also very good. But today's preach, let me move on quickly, is that one of the challenges of building a community is not only building fantastic Sundays, which I'm hoping that we're doing in all the different areas, from setup, visuals, PA, all the different things. You, some of it is seen, some 's not seen. The refreshments team have been a huge, fantastic addition to all that we've done this last term. One of the challenges of building a community that reflects the Bible and reflects who God is, is that we're meant to be on a mission and that we're called to be salt and light. We're called to be a community that makes a difference outside of these walls. And that is a challenge sometimes because you think, man, it's enough work just to make sure we keep going with what we've got on here. But actually, we want to be a community that is reaching out and beyond ourselves. And this has been on my mind for a little while. Um, Karen brought a word back in October, which was about us impacting our local communities. And it's stuck with me since that word. And I've been thinking about this and looking forward to preaching today. One of the things about starting a new year is that there are some things you can plan for. There are some things that you can't plan for. COVID taught us that, in truth, you can't plan for too much, knowing it's absolutely going to happen. But here are some things. We know there's going to be a coronation in this year. You may have a significant anniversary or significant birthday in the next year. You might be celebrating your wedding <laughs> in this next year. There are some things that you can plan for. We've got a commission festival that, as a church, we're going to in August. And yet there are many, many things that you don't know that are going to happen yet. Many things that are yet that remain a mystery, that things that will take place that will be good and bad, some of it will be amazing, and this is what we're going to talk about today, is how do we live life in a way that creates a moment for us to have stories at the end of the year which are remarkable to tell of what this community, trusting God, has delivered and believed for, and we will see great things take place. There'll be celebration in heaven as a result of us shining light, trusting him for breakthroughs and our ability and our passion and our... Moments of changing and impacting our local community. It's a big call, isn't it? It's a big ask. So today I want to focus us on being more courageous in how we demonstrate Jesus. And I hope as we do this that it will inspire you. I hope it won't feel in any way like a condemnation. And that's always the balance to get right. We're going to look at a passage that reveals something about who we are, who God has made us. And when we also look at the ways in which we can hide away, And then finally, we'll take a look at the steps of faith that we should take. Leslie Newbigin, a missionary and theologian, said it really well. Only half of the pastor's work is to gather the people together for worship. The other half is to send them back to the daily tasks equipped to be the salt of the earth and the light of the world. And I speak that for myself. I'm not like immune to the challenges of what it means to preach, as you're here, uh, preach Jesus as you're here through today. So let's read Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16. It's quite short, um, but this is massively impactful in terms of describing who we are. So, Matthew 5, 14 to 16, it's up on the screen. If you want to look in your Bibles, you're very welcome to as well. And it says this, Jesus said, you are the light of of the world you are the light of the world a city on a hill cannot be hidden neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl instead they put it on a stand on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house in the same way let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and glorify your father in heaven let me just pray jesus i pray that as we Think on these words, and as we talk about them, and just hear the words, I want to pray, God, that you would do something in our hearts, that you would help us to overcome fear. I pray, God, you would give us courage to speak, to act, to live lives that demonstrate your goodness and your light in the world around us. Amen. Okay, my point number one is this, is we are the light of the world. Really? Really? I don't suppose you wake up in the morning, look in the mirror. If you're like me, you kind of like stumble through in the dark almost. It's like that. You get to the mirror and go, I'm the light of the world. I expect more to at the point you kind of put water on your face and you're just trying to open your eyes. <laughs> and that's about as far as you can get in your morning. It's not often that we think of ourselves as being light in the world. It feels a little awkward and potentially a little wrong. It almost feels that we've kind of Made a wrong decision about ourselves, perhaps Jesus has even got the wrong person, because I can tell you someone else is better than me, and they 're much better at being light than I am. Uh, i don 't feel like light. And in worst case scenario, you can feel like you're a bad Christian, because actually i don 't feel like I 'm a good representation of what a Christian should be. it 's actually far easier to believe that Jesus is light than it is to believe that we are light. John 1, a famous passage that is obviously used a lot at Christmas services. He is the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. It absolutely fits in with the Christmas story. A baby who transformed the world, and yet 2,000 2, years later, millions globally freely choose to make Jesus the center of their lives. A remarkable impact into darkness. And we understand that Jesus being light, when we consider that our spiritual state before knowing him was that we were dead, that we were separated from him, and actually the light has transformed us and changed us. The old is gone, the new has come. We probably sense it in moments that Jesus is light when he reveals truth to us. Maybe it's in a prophetic word, maybe it's a preach, maybe it's in a song, a word of encouragement. Somehow light comes on, and life makes more sense to us. So we can relate to Jesus as being the light of the world. And if you're, an, if you're yet to know Jesus, I, I promise you that he brings light into darkness. And the darkness cannot stop that happening. But come back to this point. When it comes back to us being the light of the world, it's much harder to accept. Because it might feel actually like humility to say, Oh, that's not me. I'm not the light of the world. But actually, it's not humility at all. It is actually, in its bluntest terms, it's a lack of faith in the work that Jesus has done for you and for me. See, in the work of Christ transforming us by his light, we were taken from darkness. That gives us permission to use his own description for ourselves. We can take upon the light of the world and use it as our name. It's like something that describes who we are. We didn't save ourselves. It was the work of Jesus that did that. So too, we didn't make ourselves light. It was Jesus, the light of the world, who made us light by pouring light into us. So therefore, it is not arrogance to say that in faith, we are the light of the world. Can you do that? Could you say, I am the light of the world? I am the light of the world. world. It is truth, you see. See, we are meant to reflect the true light. Let's talk about light for a moment. This is, uh, in fact, Clary's not here today. I was hoping she'd be here because I think she'd like this illustration. On Monday, I was walking with Jeff and, uh, who was with me? Micah and Dan. And um, the, um, um, Jeff and Mary's two of their boys. And we saw fantastic waterfalls. We were in the and Beacon beacons. We saw mountains. But the whole time we're walking, under our feet, under the earth, there were caves and at various points on the path, you'd see these kind of grilled areas where people can, it stops people kind of going into the caves at that point. Some of the caves were open and you could see into them and you could hear water running underneath the ground. Has anyone ever been caving? Hands up if you've ever done caving in your life. Andy Brown. <laughs> I'm glad you said that, uh, um, that is, that's that many um, caving is one of the most remarkable things I've ever done and Jonathan you didn't like it I you couldn't fancy it I, just, I didn't like it you didn't like it it is remarkable it, it's cold you said okay here's the thing about um, caving that is uh, that's, that's very true is that when you go caving I can assure you of one thing of well, many things probably you're, you're scared but I wasn't going to mention that one but when you go into a cave and when you're out of the distance from where the sunlight comes in, you are in absolute darkness. There is nothing you can do. There's no carrot eating. No, I'll adjust my eyes long enough because simply there is no light in the cave. There is no source of light that reaches down into the cave. You can hear the sound of water. You can feel the rock. You can smell dampness, but no amount of effort can make you see anything unless there is artificial light underground. It is devoid of light. So light at that point becomes the only way to survive. It becomes the only way that you can make any sense of what is around you. There is nothing you can do if you didn't have a a piece of light, electronic light, that created a moment of knowing where things were, where the water is, which way you're going to go. In fact, it's your survival mechanism. In fact, the only other thing you need, apart from light, is a guide. Because you need someone to tell you how to get out of the caves as well. So we are called to be light in darkness. We are called to be just like that light beam when we're in a cave, which reveals what is around us. Let me tell you a story. This is a guy called Dam Singh. He was a friend I met in London. And uh, his story is that he escaped the Vietnam War in the late 70s. And in order to escape war in Vietnam, you got on a boat, made a hugely dangerous crossing to Hong Kong. And that was where you went because that was the safest, well, it wasn't safe, but it was the only way of getting away from the horrendous war that they were facing. And Dam Singh tells the story about the dangers of crossing, survived the war going on literally above him or around him, and landing in Hong Kong. They put them in detention centers and I don't know how many were cooped in, but basically he's in the center as a, I think he was a late teenager at this point, and Christians came to visit the detention center. And uh, he, they told him about Jesus. Dam Singh said to them, don't you worry, I don't need your help. I'm a Buddhist. They said, here's a Bible. He said, I don't need your Bible. I'm a Buddhist. But eventually he took their Bible from the, uh, from the Christians And uh, then then basically what happened was that he got moved and um, transferred from Hong Kong to Britain. He set up life in London. He got married, had four children. And uh, he um, then got to a situation where his marriage went wrong and things started to go wrong. He moved into a flat. And the point at which the story connects with me was that basically in the flat, he is desperate. He is desperate. And he basically is lying on his bed. The door is locked and he has a vision of a man coming into the room and saying, tomorrow you will meet someone that will help you. The next morning, he goes to the bus stop because he's decided to go and see the MP to find out if there's any way of getting help for being made homeless. And he meets a friend of mine called Noel. Now, Noel is an unlikely character, um, comes from a criminal background himself. He basically said to this guy, he asked him, how are you? Because he could see that he was distressed at the bus stop. He said, how are you? what's going on? And so Dam Singh, in broken English, starts to tell Noel the story of what's happened in his life. So Noel then phones me and says, "I tells Dam Singh, I've got a man that will help you, and rings me and says, you'll help him, Simon, won't you? And you'll sort him out. Well, as it turned out, we had someone in the church who would learned Chinese, and there was enough combinations to make sure that we could get the translation so that we could understand. And so myself, the Chinese translator, and Dam Singh met. Now at that stage when we were, we, I had started a housing project in London and we had space in the house and we were able to take Damsing to come and live in our house. The beautiful part of this story wasn't just that we housed Singh. His name was Tony in, in, uh, in his English name. It wasn't just that we housed him, but basically he connected with this gentleman who'd learned Chinese. Because he'd learned Chinese because he wanted to reach people from China. And what he discovered was that you can go to China to do that, but also people come to your doorstep, and they come right to where you are. And he engaged, and basically he invited Tony to come to his group. And what was remarkable was that Tony met Jesus and loved being part of this, this, this discipleship group with the Chinese language group. He came to church every Sunday. He was the smiliest person at church. In fact, the group he went to described him as the father so very quickly, he became, in his 50s, became the father of the group. He was that sort of person. At his baptism, he stood up and told the story I've just told you. And at that point, he then lifted up the Bible they had been given in a Hong Kong detention center. You see, the light of Jesus was being demonstrated in different stages along the way. In Hong Kong, at a bus stop, probably on a rainy Saturday morning, and uh, and then in the context of a church. One of the other great days in my life literally was this, was the day of his funeral. I took his funeral, which obviously is a sad moment, but there was such joy in that day. His whole family came, and they heard the story of how his life had been transformed by Jesus, how he'd been the father of the group. One of his daughters and husband, it turned out, had become Christians and were in East London going to a church, so that was just a brilliant connection with them. And then another of his daughters... On the back of the day, with the, on the funeral day, said I'd like to come to church, and so Claire started coming to church. She got baptised and joined in, and she was working in our kids' work um, when in, at a, um, a church. You see, light continues to shine light for others to find Jesus, and so every moment along the way, whatever you do, whether it's small or big, whatever part you play. You shining light helps someone in their journey to find the next step of where they need to go in discovering Jesus. And what happens then is that light generates more light. And so family members come to know Jesus as well. We are light and simple things change things. So where can you shine light this year? Just think for a moment, the areas where you can shine light and make a difference. But I think it's really important to look at this verse a little more closely before we move on too quickly because we do hide our light and it's important to remember that. See, it's it's a truth of life. Verse 15 says, Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. But the context of this is obviously is that it does happen and Jesus is warning us that it's very, very easy to almost miss the point. We can have this light, we can describe ourselves as light, but then by a number of different ways we can cover it up. So I just want to look at that just for a moment. The truth is, and young people, guys, you know this more than us. Probably it's it's every day. If you're at school, you're under immense pressure. There is less freedom to express a Christian view than there used to be. It's a reality that we are faced with opposition in most places that we go to. In our workplaces, in our families often, there are opposition to having fundamental Christian views. We know that people will assume we're out of date. They'll be hate, we're hateful towards those who are not like us. We're uncaring when it comes to sexuality. We are simply nuts to believe in a higher power. And that is before we've even discussed the characteristics of who our God is. Why does he allow suffering? Why are wars in the name of Christianity continuing? And simply, why is there only one way to God? There are plenty of reasons why people have objections to the light. And when I read that short list, perhaps you suddenly think, oh, the bowl becomes a little bit more attractive when you list that. <laughs> I feel a bit more like, oh, yeah, that's a tough battle to go into. But I want to just make a couple <laughs> of comments on that. Um, if we view the like, Christian life as one of we have to defend the Bible and God, then we quickly do find ourselves in a minefield. One step in the wrong direction at work and <laughs> explosion. We're in trouble. A friendly word to a family member results in a blow up because you've trodden on values that are very different to yours. And at times it can absolutely feel like we're going into battle. Hard hat, bulletproof vest, more than anything like we're shining light. Well, here's some comfort. I don't have all the answers and I'm not today bringing any of us in terms of how do we answer the big questions of life. But I am looking at how do we not place the bowl over our light. See, Jesus knew about opposition false accusations. Let's be comforted by that. It's important to remember that. We sometimes think we've got it worse than anyone else. Well, there's plenty before us who've had it pretty bad when it comes to standing up for Christian beliefs. And Jesus had the same experience. They had the same battles 2,000 years ago about fighting sexuality, about legalism, about him not being the saviour that they all expected or wanted. He was a marked man. Men were after him and he he paid the price for not compromising with his own life. See, the Christian life is meant to be lived in a way that others will see, but the reality is that not everyone will like what they see. The rich young man, remember, walked away from Jesus sad because he did not like what Jesus said to him. That's just one example of where people did walk away unhappy. I think one of the most common things I hear from Christians is they don't know what to say. Well, I think we're all in that boat. Let's say we all are in that boat we all get to points where we think, oh, I just got stuck. I don't know where to go. Um, a couple of months ago, I was in Scotland um, for my 50th birthday. And on the way back, there were four of us in the car, two hitches on the side of the road. I thought, let's pick them up. So this this couple, they were heading back to Stirling University. And uh, we basically got into this great conversation, obviously, about, they asked us what we all did. We asked what they did. They asked us what we did. Four of us were, three of us worked for a church. All four of us were Christians. And in many ways, it was a fantastic occasion. But I kept replaying one conversation in my head where it was just this rubbish answer that we'd given. It was like so pathetic. It was basically, what sort of church are you? And you know how when you get asked a simple question, suddenly your brain goes, it's like, what do I answer that? Are you asking about what's our kind of brand? What are we called? What's our history? And you get lost in this kind of of blur of like, Nonsense, really, in my head. And between the four of us, we came up with a really fudged, pathetic response. Afterwards, I kept thinking, why didn't I just say, we're the church where Jesus changes lives? Hey, that would have, done it. That would have been brilliant. <laughs> and I think, what, I think this illustrates a really interesting point. As believers, we can spend too long worrying about the bits we can't get right. And we can forget the parts that, actually, I picked the guys, we picked the guys up, we gave them a lift for an hour down the road, we had a fantastic engagement with them, we had lots of fun, they would have come away thinking that Christians are good. But in my head, I'm thinking, oh no, why not come up with a better answer? Sometimes I think, oh, I know my wife would have come up with a better answer, I know plenty of people at church that would have come up with a better answer, but I didn't, I couldn't make it happen. And uh, I think for believers, it's often a way we can do it, is that we focus on the bits that go wrong. And that is a way in which we can diminish our light. Because instead of praying for them to have the next light on their journey, I'm worrying about the fact that I couldn't come up with a good answer in the car. We worry about small details when it's actually the sovereign hand of God at work. We don't change people's lives. And yet sometimes we can feel like it's based upon our ability to change people. We just play our small part and mission involves many different people playing their part. I've said it before and I'll keep saying it because it's an important part of understanding how light works is that we all need to shine our light for others to see the truth of God. So instead of worrying, let's pray. And continuing, continuing this theme with the factors that mean we like to put bowls over our light is that I think we have unrealistic expectations sometimes of what the light is. And I want us as a community this year to celebrate the small steps. Because sometimes we can diminish it by thinking that we've got to take someone from... Unbeliever to like you know falling down on their face before God as that's our journey, that's our responsibility. But actually, we're we're called to take small steps. Celebrating small steps means that when Jeff and Mary bring their Jeff's work colleagues to the Christmas carol service, we celebrate it. We're not asking the question of what happens next, (laughs) we're not thinking, Oh, where did they go and did they ask the right questions and did they enjoy it? And actually, just celebrate the fact that Jeff's witness in his workplace means that his work colleagues and their other halves. We're saying, I'll come along to a service and I'll hear more about Jesus. And I would love every one of us on that particular point, I'd love every one of us to have someone that we could invite to the carol services next year. It's the easiest invite of the year. In this year, when you're going through your year, there'll be people you think, that'd be a great person to invite. Let's build and connect with people so that we can be light to them. Let's build a community that celebrates all the small steps of faithfulness, the invite to a youth, the city kids that had seven guests just before Christmas at their Christmas party. And that is fantastic. I spoke to one parent dropping the kids off. He said, my daughter came at Easter. They had such a fantastic time. She wanted to come back at Christmas. And they are the small steps because for all we know, there is no other light shining in that family other than her experience of walking in and being part of city kids on a Sunday. So, I think the bowl is sometimes there because of discouragement, rejection, looking foolish. We kind of hide away. And my encouragement is that we find ways that we lift the bowl and do not allow our light to be covered. It means we're less afraid to speak up. Are you with me? We can do that together. Encourage each other to lift the the bowl, make sure our light shines, and we celebrate the small wins along the way. And my final point is, let's shine brightly. Time is rushing by. Let's be light to each other in our Sunday services. Let's bring our contribution. Let's bring what we can offer and let's shine. In worship, as Nick already encouraged us, there's a preach coming up, isn't there? I think in terms of how do we worship and how do we demonstrate who God is in our our times of worship. But there's abandonment to God. There's prophetic encouragement. Helping in sparklers, in city kids, in our kids' work brings light. In the refreshments, in Welcome Team, all the areas brings light. There are new people walking into this building every Sunday. Let's be light to that, those people. If you're that person today, you are so welcome. It is fantastic having you with us. I want this to be the best place for unbelievers to explore what the light is. Let me say that again. I want this to be a great place on Sunday for unbelievers to be able to explore what the light is. We all play our part in helping people feel at home. It's not just Nick up front explaining it. It's actually each one of us who we sit next to. How we welcome people in the car park all makes a difference. (coughs) And then we have many who are on the fringes of our community. Some who are going through terribly difficult times. Some who are still, the impact of COVID is hitting them. I've got, on the team that Matt leads, the pastoral care team, there are people who, this is tough. They're going through tough days in their In their lives, they don't make it on a Sunday because actually life is too tough to be here. And we can show light to people like that. Let me tell you about street life. Another example street life was run by Richard, who's at the back. This is how light impacts across a community. In the Bradley Stoke Matters, there is an article which describes street life, it talks about City Church, and that is going out to every house in Bradley Stoke. And uh, it's another example of how light shines. You can join Richard's team and shine light which goes into Central Bristol every Saturday night. Chat to Richard afterwards, he would love to tell you more about that. Let me tell you, there's other ways that we can all make a difference. It's who you choose to spend time with, whether it's a social group, whether it's a sporting group. In your context of your week, are you engaging with unbelievers? Where do you engage with unbelievers and how do you shine light and how do you make a difference? In my workplace, one of the things I'm so grateful for is that half my job is responsible for the Bradley Stokes site and half my job is social action engagement in in the church and one of the things that allows me to do is to engage with the housing teams in Bristol, to engage with the kind of advice sector and that means I'm in meetings that are way beyond a church pastor role. Many of it is simply actually how do we solve issues relating to homelessness. It gets me directly connected to unbelievers on a weekly basis. What is it for you to make sure that you're connecting with unbelievers. You have someone to invite to next year's carol service. We've got a great teaching series coming up as a church, which will help us in terms of looking at our city and how do we impact a city. But let me just finish with this, because obviously there are many, many ways that each of us can shine our light. Let's remember the caving illustration. I think it is very apt. It happens in your school. It happens in our workplace. It happens in the world. It's a decaying world that we live in. It is like going into the darkness of a cave when you see it spiritually. When you look at the state of the news, you don't have to watch it for very long to feel very depressed and quite upset, I imagine. And you quickly want to switch it off. That is the state of our world we're living in. It is dark out there. The cave is an example of actually what it means to bring light because it changes and transforms the whole of the experience. You see, in... uh, When we come to bring our light, we need to remember this, is that Jesus, and this is where it describes it in Revelation 1, Jesus, his face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. So if ever we're in doubt about how we can be the light of the world, is that we need to remember that Jesus is the one whose face was like the sun, shining in all its brilliance. There is no doubting the power and authority when you consider that his face was shining like the sun. None of us, can be in any doubt that light there is truly remarkable. Ultimately, going underground also means that you find things remarkable as well. Mining happens underground. I want to be a community this year where we unearth, where we find, where we discover hidden treasure. Gold, silver, it might be, it might be your family members, it might be your work colleagues, it might be people at your running club or your art club. It might, wherever it is you go, I want us to unearth hidden treasures because ultimately the light is attractive not only are we the light but the light is attractive we've got to believe it as a as a community that's where we're going there's no specifics in terms of how we do it at this point i'm very aware but i'm looking i'm talking to people about how do we make direct impact into our local area there's one or two ideas we're working on at the moment which follows up from some of the word that came back in october but initially we are all called to be light to go out And live lives that make a difference in our community. Let's stand together. If the band can come back up, and I want you, I want us to respond. And um, maybe you want to. At this point, I'm going to ask for the Holy Spirit to come and give us courage and faith. There's also going to be a. It's also something in this about actually. There's a moment of just almost like taking away some of the hurt and pain that you might have experienced, whether it's rejection. Or simply those moments where you have suffered as a result of speaking up and actually at the point where you've demonstrated light, actually there's been a response that's hurt. So let's just close our eyes and let's invite the Holy Spirit to come and minister to us. Maybe you want to reach out and put your hands out as a sign of saying, God, I'm yours. I want to meet with you and I want to know you and I want to find your comfort and peace in the midst of what is a. in reality there's some difficult moments of what it means to be light in darkness. So Jesus, Jesus, we invite you here and we ask you that you would come and minister to us and speak to us and help us. And I want to pray that, Holy Spirit, you would come and draw us closer to you. And I pray for us, each of us, to know that where things have not gone right in the past, where things have been awkward or difficult, God, you come and bring comfort and help us. And where, when we've been light and it's gone wrong, I pray, God, you would help us not to focus on the mistakes, but on the fact that you are glorious, that, God, there is a way through, that you are ultimately the light that shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never put it out. Help us to be, have confidence to say we are light. And where for some of us, that's like, what? (laughs) Help us to be full of faith that God, you got it right. You haven't made a mistake with us. You haven't mischosen us. You have called us for a purpose. You have called us to be a light and make a difference in this world. And I pray right now, in all the gifting and the areas of expertise we have, we would still look to you first. We wouldn't rely on our own intellect, on our own ability. We wouldn't trust in our own ability to do things. We would actually trust in you. That God, we would be willing to lay down our lives to see your glory revealed. And where we do feel uncomfortable, that God, we wouldn't back out and put a bowl on our heads. We would allow our light to shine even when it feels awkward or difficult. Because God, we know that you've called us for a greater purpose. You've called us for an eternal purpose. You've called us to build your bride here on earth that is a demonstration of the (laughs) marriage uh, that you brought us into. And we want to be the beautiful bride that comes before Jesus Christ. And we want this community here in Bradley Stoke to genuinely reflect the, the awesomeness of God. And we want to impact and we want to bring many into this family. We want many to come and find you to find the light that changes who we are. Come and do it, Lord. Come and do it in our lives, in our workplaces, in our schools, in our families. We want to be people who stand for you and put our trust in you. And We pray for remarkable moments, just those spontaneous interventions from God where a conversation can t- change someone's life, where a Bible being given to someone's hands in a detention center, where a conversation at a bus stop where we just say a word, or we we, do an Im, we bring an invitation that changes someone's life. We pray for it. We pray by the end of this year we would have more stories of your power and your revelation that we can tell each other. Amen.